0: Yud Gimel Mar Cheshvan, Tavshin Ayin Tet, coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. My name is Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Elbaz and Benny Elbaz, joined together Hashem Melech. Welcome in, one and all, welcome, welcome to another live edition of the Israel Show. My name is Mayor Weingarten, we are on the Nachum Siegel Network here each and every Monday, immediately following JM in the AM, 9 AM Eastern, 4 PM Israel time and around the world, wherever you are, whatever time it is right now, that's the time that we're on where you are. That's pretty simple to understand in the world of Internet and the Worldwide Broadcasting. Thank you so much uh, for joining us, making us a part of your week. You can also listen to us or tell others about it, and they can listen to us on demand. Download the, um, the show from the Nachum Siegel Network app or from the website, nachumsegel.com. You can download it into your device when you're in a Wi-Fi area. And it's free, all free, and then you can listen in the car, wherever you want, whenever you want. What an amazing world. We get to do what we want to do when we want to do it. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Israel Show, features every week after our show a playlist, which has the links to the YouTube videos of the songs that we play during the show, plus links to maybe items that we discuss during the show with topics, columns, articles, videos, That we discussed and that we brought up while we were talking to you during this hour. And uh, usually they're very interesting. We do not bombard you with stuff that's irrelevant during the week or that you're going to see elsewhere. Um, This is really stuff that we hope is unique and uh, will be of interest to you. That is Facebook.com slash The Israel Show. Facebook.com slash The Israel Show. So we have some interesting things to talk about today the kingdom of the hashemite kingdom of jordan <laughs> that's what it's called king abdallah announced yesterday something which was i don't know shocked me said that um the kingdom of jordan will be will be canceling Part of the peace treaty that was signed 25 years ago, 24 years ago, between Israel and Jordan, and I, I said to myself, "What does that mean? How do you cancel a peace treaty? It's a treaty, and and if it's possible to cancel peace treaties, then what's the point of Israel negotiating and and then giving up land for a piece of paper which can then be canceled?" So I started looking into it, and it's it's a lot more complex than it. it's not as it's not as bad as it sounds, and it's a lot more complex. And uh, we will delve into that and explain to you what is going on here with this um, uh, peace treaty between Israel and Jordan and so forth. Um, if we have time, we'll also discuss the um, situation in Khan el Kham Ahmar, an illegal outpost of the Arabs. You've heard so much about, quote-unquote, illegal outposts of Jews. Amona, Nativ Havod, and others that have been physically destroyed because they were ruled illegal and so forth. Well, there's an entire town, a Bedouin town, which sits right in the center of the area between Yerushalayim, and the Dead Sea, after the Ma'ale Dumim area, an area that Israel has vowed to keep continuous and contiguous. And so the Arabs just went and started building there, and this is going on for years. And And finally, it was set that in two weeks from now, this entire town would be destroyed, and the people would be moved into uh, into alternative housing in a different area, People were got getting ready. All kinds of uh, um, preparations were made. Roads were were paved in order for this to carry out to be get carried out. The the army and police, whatever, were being um, were being trained into how to deal with this. And yesterday, suddenly, Prime Minister Netanyahu says, "Well, we're we're not doing it." And that raised a lot of questions. And then in the afternoon, he said we will do it. And then later in the evening, he said we're going to do it, but not right now. Very, um, very crazy situation there. And as promised uh, earlier, as we were on with Nachum Siegel, the eleventh uh, of Marcheshvan, which was this past Shabbat, uh, is traditionally known as the Yartzai the the yearly anniversary of the death of Rachel Imenu, the matriarch Rachel, we will discuss that tradition, where it comes from. It's not mentioned in Tanakh. It's not mentioned in the Gemara. So we will discuss where that came from and and why it has a little bit of a resurgence or a big resurgence over the last um, generation or so. All that's coming up, so we hope you stay with us. This is uh, Boaz Sharabi. From the album At Lila Deror Yikra, my name is Mayor Wang, and you're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. <music> Sha Going back to 1993, Bo HaRabi Dorori Kra, traditional, age-old nigun for that uh, wonderful Shabbat zemer. Who was it written by? Ibn Ezra, I think, if I'm not mistaken. My name is Maya and You're tuned to the Israel Show, and we are, of course, on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you so much. So, the headlines yesterday both in Israel and around the world, were that Jordan is announcing that it is canceling part of the peace treaty between Israel and Jordan. And, of course, everybody asks, what does that mean? So, after a little bit of research, search and research, turns out that 24 years ago, when Israel entered into this peace agreement with the kingdom of Jordan, there were two areas, one in the north and one in the south, small part, pieces of land that had been in possession of Israel from early on, before the Six-Day War, and were farmed by Israeli uh, farmers, kibbutzim in some cases, and so forth. Jordan claimed that uh, they are the sovereign over these two areas and they refuse to give up their claim of sovereignty. It's amazing that um when Jordan has a claim on sovereignty nobody calls them um you know stubborn and not being yielding to uh not being flexible enough in, in negotiation no this was theirs now the whole claim of why they claimed that that was theirs and israel claims it was it's because it's such a tiny uh, uh area and it seems that the map that was signed in 1949 um after the uh, war of independence which was an armistice agreement uh on that map it got a little the line got a little cut off or moved or whatever and uh Everybody stuck to their guns. Israel said it's theirs, Jordan said it's there. But Israel actually was there on the ground and farmed the area. In fact, before the the one in the south, which is called Naharaim, now it's called Peace Island, you might see it known as Peace Island. Naharaim was even before the state of Israel, a Jew by the name of Pinhas Rottenberg developed a power plant, an electrical power plant that ran and created electricity off of the waters coming from the Jordan. And they built dams and they built all kinds of structures to get the water to flow fast enough to generate electricity and, from my understanding, a decent part of um, of um, Israel, or what was then called Palestine, in, uh, in the early 1920s, 1930s, and 40s, was powered by this Pinchas Rutenberg's power plant in Nahariyim. I don't think Pinchas Rutenberg would consider himself a Jordanian, but anyway, uh, later on it came to be a farmland, being farmed by uh, Jews, and was such until the peace treaty. Now, the the one in the... That, that's Nahariyim is in the north, and the one in the south is called Sofar. And it also belongs to a kibbutz. And... Um, It's farming land. So, when they signed the peace treaty, Israel accepted Jordan's claim that it had sovereignty over these two little areas. Jordan refused to give up. It's amazing. This country that is humongous that was carved out of what should be part of Israel, according to the original mandate, and just given a chunk to Abdullah, this Abdullah's um, grandfather, great grandparents, just like that, the British just gave it over. Winston Churchill actually did it, but they can't, they can't give up on these two little tiny specks of land that have always been part of Israel. Now, so the compromise that was reached, of course, Israel compromised as always, and 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 the compromise that was reached was that the Jewish farmers that are farming the land will own it, but it will be under Jordanian sovereignty. And Jordan will allow access, won't tax them, all kinds of conditions that were set up in Annex Number 1 of the Treaty. And... Basically, it says that... The, uh, I'm going to read to you very quickly. The two parties agree that a special regime will apply to Naharayim. And to, so far, on a temporary basis, as set out in this annex, for the purpose of this annex, the area's detailed independence forward, Whatever recognizing that in the area which is under jo- Jordan sovereignty, with Israeli private land ownership rights and property interests... In the land comprising the area Jordan undertakes to grant without charge unimpeded freedom of entry to and exit and so forth. So basically this is land that Israel is saying we are ready to agree to say that it's sovereign Jordanian land. And the Jordanians say we are ready to accept the fact that it is owned by Jewish farmers. And we're not going to impinge in any way or inhibit in any way their access. We're not going to charge them taxes. We're not going to nothing. It'll be as if it's theirs, which is a a compromise. Okay, fine. But then there's one last little part of this annex. Without prejudice to private rights of ownership of land within the area, this annex will remain in force for 25 years. Aha! So it wasn't a forever. It's going to be this agreement, this understanding that the territory actually is under Jordanian sovereignty, but de facto it is owned by Jews who are farming it, and they really can, can deal with it as their ownership and without any intervention by Jordan, this agreement will only be for 25 years and shall be renewed automatically for the same period, meaning the understanding was that after 25 years pass, it will automatically be renewed. You know how you sign up for things every month? They're going to charge your card, and it's automatically renewed unless you call them a month before and tell them that, you know? And they, they take advantage of the fact that it's going to be automatically renewed, and you're going to forget about it. Well, the idea was that after 25 years, it would just be automatically renewed for another 25 years and so forth. But suddenly, and this is the announcement that King Hussein, King Abdullah made yesterday based on this clause, unless one year prior notice of termination is given by either party, in which case, at the request of either party, consultations shall be entered into. So Jordan had, as did Israel, had the ability, one year before the 25 years are up, which is now, to say, you know what, we don't want to continue this understanding. We don't like this agreement. And... Based on the headlines, one would think that that's it. Jordan says, we're out, we're out, and that's it, and we're taking back this land, we're throwing the Jews out, and so forth. No, 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 no. The agreement says that if one party announces a year in advance that they're going to terminate this, this automatic renewal, then, at the request of either party, consultation shall be entered into. So this is the beginning of something that's going to probably stretch out, it's going to schlep out for a year, and each side is going to use it as a a bargaining chip in a negotiation that will probably include other things as well. And the complicated part here is that if Jordan withdraws from this agreement, the land is actually privately owned, and that that for sure continues. It's understood that the land is privately owned, and it's without prejudice that – without prejudice means there's no effect, it won't affect – the ownership if Jordan withdraws from this annex in the treaty. So, first of all, they're not canceling part of the treaty. They're actually abiding by the treaty. It's an annex in the treaty. It says that they have the right, one year before the 25 years are up, to come and say, we don't want to continue this specific annex, this provision in the treaty that deals with these two little Areas, so now what's going to happen is it's not it's not a unilateral thing. It's not that Jordan can just say goodbye. Now Israel and Jordan are going to sit down and negotiate and come and figure out what the story what the story is going to be. They're going to have to renegotiate. Why why is this happening? It should have been, we would imagine, it should have been that it. Automatically renewed 25 years were up It just renewed It just happened On its own almost Nobody did anything Just Nobody stopped it It was a Right So why Does The king Of Jordan now Come and say No We're stopping this agreement We'll get to that We'll do a quick Musical break And then we'll get to that um, We're going to do Dvarim Shahiti Mansi Written words written by Uri, the late Uri Yorbach. Daniel Zamir is the one who is uh, who is uh, singing. the uh, The words are from a, a book, a children's book that um, Uri Orbach, alav shalom, wrote. We've spoken about it numerous times. Um, the name of the book, Ulai Bishabati Yizrukusu is very popular amongst the youth, the religious Zionist youth in Israel. And uh, this one is called "Ulavish uh, Dvarim Shaitisi Things I would invent. My name is Mayor Weingart and you're tuned to the Israel show on the Nahum Siegel Network.. <laughs>
1: Before him of Liftach, I'm <laughs> down vaches aidi oh my sadness i come to loves shall not be by a burden of mine body oh Yes
0: Danielle Zamir singing um, words by Uri Orbach Dvarim Shahiti Mamtsi, off of the uh, words off of the children's book Ulai Shabati Zuku kariot. My name is Mayor Weingarten Thank you for tuning in to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network So of course our listeners always come through A listener who goes by the moniker A J E A G E, AGE Excuse me Reminds me that, of course, Jerohi K'ra was written by Dunash ben Labrat. Duh, one would be, um, one would think, right? Because uh, the acrostic of the first para of the first letters of each paragraph are Dunash. Ibn Ezra wrote other stuff. I believe he wrote Kiesh Murah Shabbat. So I got confused there between my Shabbat Zmirot Confusion. I, I guess you know what it's. It's Shabbos afternoon. By the time you sing them, and you're half asleep already, your schlafstunde is on the way. We were in the middle of explaining what happened between Jordan and Israel, as far as the the peace treaty that uh, the headlines all blast blared yesterday. That uh, the King of uh, Jordan, Abdullah, says that. Uh, they're withdrawing from part of the treaty. Turns out that there is an annex in the treaty, which which uh, either gets automatically renewed every 25 years, or one year before the automatic renewal, one of the sides can object, and then um, that brings them to negotiations. The two sides have to negotiate and see what uh, what can be done. It regards the sovereignty over, um, not the sovereignty, but the free movement and ownership of two, two farming areas, one in the north, one in the south of Israel. So the question is, why did king, what compelled Abdallah, the king of Jordan, to, to go ahead and do this now? And so from what I've gathered from, the, um, from, from those analysts that I, that I respect, one is that um, Jordan is actually collapsing. Jordan is not doing very well at all. Economically, it's collapsing, and of course, when there's economic collapse, there is a lot of uh, unrest amongst the citizens. There's a lot of uh, don't forget. Jordan uh, has a majority of what what the world calls Palestinians, meaning Arabs who consider themselves uh, Palestinians um, who live there. They don't like the king. There are other forces in there that would be happy to overthrow the king. The um, the J- Jordan lives off of a lot of schnorr money that it gets from other Arab nations and from the United States, and so he's in a precarious position now. The the opposition within Jordan. Somebody came up realizing that this one year anniversary is happening, that Jordan can can. Abrogate can, can not abrogate really, but can say that it it wants to withdraw from the automatic um, 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 automatic renewal of this part of the treaty of this annex, and the anti-Israel forces within Jordan, those who are against the peace uh, treaty, those who don't understand to what extent Israel helps Jordan, um, those who hate Jews more than they love them their country have decided to make a big deal out of this. And there have been protests about it in the streets and so forth. And so Abdallah, the king of, of Jordan, has f- felt very pressured into doing this. Now, what can Israel use against him? Well, there's a lot of things. First of all, Israel has agreed, something that I think is insane, that Jordan is the country who has the somewhat of the... the um, what would we call it? Um, the right to manage the daily um, affairs on Har Abayit and the holy sites in Israel, which is a little crazy. It's not sovereignty. Israel still the sovereign. Israel still goes up there with police and keeps order and so forth. Israel still officially, it is part of Israel. But it allows Jordan to be in charge of the daily affairs or if there needs to be for example, the parts of the wall that were falling or whatever of the southern wall. So Jordan had to be consulted and be involved in the engineering process and and so forth and so on. So Israel can always withdraw that. Jordan is very dependent on Israel for water. It's part of the treaty, actually. Jordan really is dependent on Israel not to collapse, because if there will be a threat to Jordan, it is in Israel's interest that Jordan remain Jordan and not taken over for example by iran and we can imagine that once iran is settled in in syria sadly they'll look to jordan next as they want to build this caliphate in the middle east and they want to be in charge jordan is uh, is ripe for the taking so to speak for uh, for a um, a powerful nation like iran and i think that jordan understands that it would look to israel to help it and protect it just like saudi arabia today is closing up to israel um, with the understanding that Israel could help it in its fight against Iran, so we'll have to see where all this goes. But that's the explanation of what happened yesterday. The 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 Jordan is not leaving the peace treaty. I don't think that uh, you could just that they, it's not in their interest to just walk away from it, and. Um, it, it would it would really it, it would really put an end to, to the left in Israel if that would happen because nobody if if you could just walk away from the treaty and and, and there's no consequence to that then uh, Israel would say so why would we ever sign a treaty with any Arab state which is what many said about Egypt and thankfully it's held up even with Sadat being shot even with Mubarak out it's held up and let's hope it continues to do so but. That's the problem in the Middle East. You never know who's going to be there next. You never know what they're going to do with that piece of paper that you signed. One thing you know is that if there's a piece of land that you gave away, it's it's gone. Not happening again. Um, okay, we'll do a musical break and then we'll talk about Yud Aleph Mar Cheshvan, the 11th day of Mar Cheshvan. We'll discuss the evolution of how that's become... Um, the traditional day to mark the yorzite of Rachel Imeinu. We're going to a new song by Bat El it, um, it it does um, connect with the parsha that we read this past Shabbat, Lech Lecha l'artzacha. So this is Lech Lecha El Atzmecha, El Kol eretz Shetivchar. This is more of an independent, not, not a national, but an independent Lech Lecha, meaning that a person should go should go to whatever country so to speak all metaphoric go to whatever country you you choose meaning in your life you should you should peel yourself away from the people and the places that are not good for you that have done bad to you and go to a place where you will feel comfortable it's all a metaphor about life using the iconic lech lecha um, formulation that's Bat Ella. We've done a lot of her music, really cool stuff. The name of the song is El Atzmi. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You are tuned to The Israel Show on the Nahum Siegel Network.
2: Il people who il living in the world, the people who are living in it's a little Meha, il col eret shetifha. <imitation> Vit me me
0: Bat Ella We've uh, broadcast a lot of her music And uh, she's really a nice um, She's got a nice collection of uh, Of uh, Music out there Not as well known as some of the others But um, really enjoyable Lech Lecha El Atzmecha Find yourself Metaphorically My name is Meyer Weingarten Your tune today is your show on the Nachum Siegel Network you might have seen advertisements for this. This year, probably a little less than usual, but Yud Aleph Mar Cheshvan has uh, traditionally been considered the yard site of Rachel Imenu. And uh, over the past, um, I don't know, 20 years or so, it's taken on a life of its own. Um, major, you know, major um, pilgrimages, to Kever Rachel, normally hundreds of thousands they say go there to Davin this year there were tens of thousands because it was on Shabbat so Mutzay Shabbat they went lots to talk about there but I want to specifically focus on the question of where does this tradition start how did it evolve it's not in the Chumash it's not even in the Gemara it's in a medrash, which is from the Gaonic period, which is from around the year 600 till about 1500. And there it says that Benjamin was born on Yud Aleph, Mar Cheshvan, and we know that, Rachel, that, that this is in the Pasuk, that Rachel dies in childbirth as she is giving birth to Benjamin. So therefore, it must be that her yard site was on uh, yard site was on uh, I don't know how they get to the fact that Benjamin was born on on Yud Aleph Marcheshvan. Doesn't doesn't really matter right now for for our purposes. So the tradition is is relatively new, not Tanakh, not not the Gemara, not the Talmud but uh, from the Gaonic period. Now, that's obviously still very old, but it, most of the time when we deal with sources, we deal with earlier sources. And the Midrash discusses that. Now, here's the problem with it. I don't think um, you know that anyone would, would come up with any objection, if not for the fact that we find a Midrash that conflicts with it, an earlier Midrash from an earlier time that conflicts with this, Understanding and here is where you can find this midrash. You can find it in Rashi. Rashi is commenting on Bereshit, Perak Memchet, Pasuk Zayin, famous pasuk where Yaakov, after Yaakov uh, has Yosef swear that he will take Yaakov after his death for burial in Me'arat Hamachpelah from Egypt to Hebron, to Eretz Israel. Later on, Yaakov says, Va'ani, but me, but I, bivoimi padan, when I came from padan, meaning from Lavan, when he left Lavan and he was coming back into the land of Israel, this we know is when Rachel died. Meta alai Rachel, Rachel died, in the land of Canaan, on the road. Be'od Kivrat Eretz Lavo Efrata When there was still It's a hard word to understand There's different explanations What the word Kivrat Eretz means There are those who say It's a very long way There are those who say It was a short way Either way (laughs) There was a Kivrat Eretz Till to get to Efrata Or to Efrat And therefore I buried her on the road Because we were far away from a settled place or possibly we were far away from Hebron we were still a days out a day out from Hebron and I didn't want to schlep that day with her body uh, unburied I buried her there on the road to Ephrat he which is whether Ephrat is or the place he buried her is of course we could all uh, look at the different uh, uh, Mephashim to understand that. What does Rashi say? Rashi says, why is Yaakov telling Yosef this whole story? Of, of the burial of Rachel. And Rashi brings a Midrash saying that Yaakov was saying to himself, what is Yosef thinking? I now have Yosef schlepping me from Egypt to Hebron several days travel, to bury me in Chevron. I, when I was traveling and his mother, the beloved Rachel, Yosef's mother, died closer to Marat HaMachpelah, I didn't go and bury her in Marat HaMachpelah, I buried her on the road. And Yosef might have in his heart a bad feeling about Yaakov and say, you know, that's weird that you're asking me... To to schlep you to Eretz Israel to bury you in Matamachpela. You didn't do that for my mother. That's what Rashi brings that medrash. I didn't do that for your mother. She she died near Beit Lechem. And I didn't take her in. And now here's the key to this, uh, to this point. Well, she quotes a medrash. You might say, listen, it was a rainy season. The roads were terrible, muddy. You couldn't make progress. It would have taken a long time till I got to Hebron. So you could, you could say that and, and, and you'd feel better about what I did for your mother. No. The Medra says, It was not the rainy season. It was the dry season. And the, the land is dried out and has little holes, like a sieve holes from the dryness of, uh, of the season. Well, if in fact the time of Rachel's burial was. Uh, in the middle of the hot period, when the earth was so dry that it had holes, was pockmarked like a sieve. Well, then it couldn't have happened in Marcheshvan. Marcheshvan's already the rainy season. Even if it's not the heart of the rainy season, the land—it's surely not going to be dry and arid like in the middle of the summer in Eretz Israel, where it doesn't rain for several months. And so based on that earlier Medrash, it would be very hard to say that Yud Aleph Cheshvan would be the date of yard site And many have brought this up. Some say that the Yud Aleph Cheshvan is a mistake. It's a typo of some kind The earlier um, Mifashim who say that. Either way, one thing we know, that tradition really takes takes precedence in uh, in Judaism, especially about these types of things. And you can't argue with the crowd. Um, this is what people have taken upon themselves. And uh, whether right or wrong, it, it's it's really hard to argue. But the question becomes, why has this site taken on such significance? Do you see people running to Mach Pelan, Avram's Yortzai, Yitzhak's Yortzai, Yaakov's Leah's Yortzai? Any of the other sites and yes, of course, Rachel has special meaning for a lot of different reasons in Jewish uh, in our Jewish folklore. But it is one would think rather unusual, and I think I and I think that if someone would go back and do the research, you would find that thirty years ago, forty years ago, Yud Alef Marcheshvan was not a big deal. You did not have hundreds of thousands of people going to Rachel. So what made it So there're two issues and they're actually tied into each other When the Oslo agreement was being finalized the second part the second uh, part of the agreement Rachel was to be in Arab hands can you imagine Rachel was going to be part of the PLO state the Palestinian authority Lots of stories how it happened that it didn't. That uh, Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin vetoed that and had it removed and kept within the borders of Israel and outside of the uh, areas that were given to the Palestinian Authority. I don't have time now to tell you some of the famous stories about that. And so maybe when we've had a feeling that it was going to be taken away from us, the idea of being more in touch, more in tune with the that of Rachel and going to the kever became more, more uh, interesting and 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 more observed. That's a possibility. Now I will also tell you. I'll tease this. Maybe we'll look at it at another time. That there are, there are sources in Tanakh itself that might point to the fact that Kev Rachel is somewhere else. It's to the north of Yerushalayim, not the south of Yerushalayim. But again, just like we don't know that 11 Marchban was was Rachel's site and could very well be wasn't, that's what the world has accepted the jewish world has accepted and in the same way the jewish world has accepted that this place south of Yushalayim in what is today considered called bethlehem is uh, is in fact kever Rachel. the bottom line is over generations the jews prayed there and cried there and brought there message before God sort of created it and made it into a holy place. I've seen that brought by uh, Rabbi Lau in his in his uh, book on Yermiyahu, which is available both in Hebrew and in English by the way. Very interesting and he, he really makes that point whether Rachel is actually buried north of Yerushalayim or south of Yerushalayim. This place South of Yerushalayim, that we call today Kevr Rachel and have done, have for the last generations, this place has taken on its own holiness, if you will, its own special place in Jewish lore. The irony is that I think another reason that 12 mar-he, 11 Mark became so important in Jewish life in Israel and around the world is that on 11 Marchvan 23 years ago I believe Yitzhak Rabin was murdered it was a Matzei Shabbat and he was killed by a Jew a yarmulke wearing Jew and for a very long time and uh, some would say even in some quarters even today the religious Zionist world was blamed by the secular left for the murder of Yitzhak Rabin because the murderer wore a Kipastruga. Now, obviously, it's crazy, but it's just, it's just the way the left likes to operate, you know. We're going to vilify all of you. And so, every year, when on Yudbet Cheshmar Cheshvan, the, the country, the media, public areas, the educational system, and so forth, Make a big point of commemorating Yitzhak Rabin's yard site and discussing what led up to it and so forth. It would seem that the religious world in Israel finds a way an escape, and the escape route is the yard of Rachel. And so, the focus shift from Yud to Yud Aleph to go to Kever Rachel and to create their own day of mourning, but rather than for Yitzhak Rabin, mourning for Rachel Emeinu. That's a little bit of a simplification, don't catch me on the specific words I'm using and so forth, but that, to my mind, are two of the reasons that uh, things have developed that way. Uh, we will, let's see, we have enough time, we don't have that much time, so I, I'll tell you about one other item that's going on, and then we'll close out with some music that is, uh, appropriate for what we just spoke about, which is about Rachel. Um, I'm going to read to you a press release from Rigavim, we've spoken about Rigavim often, rigavim.org, is it, or .com, we tell you to we uh, we recommend that you go and take a look there uh, I'm going to read this to you for over a decade Rigavim has been at the forefront of legal battle to protect the Adumim region like you know, Mishor Adumim Kfar Adumim and of course Mala Adumim and to evacuate the illegal outpost known as Khan Al-Khamar Achmar, which is a large Bedouin area that as I mentioned to you they set up the Arabs set up in order to block the contiguous area from Yushalim to the Dead Sea. This evening, that was yesterday, following the announcement of Prime Minister Netanyahu's decision to postpone the court-approved evacuation, quote-unquote, until further notice, Rigavim calls the Prime Minister to task for this shameful capitulation. For years, Prime Minister Netanyahu has implemented a policy of selective law enforcement against Jewish settlements in Judea and Samaria. Tonight's decision wreaks of cowardice and makes a laughing stock of Israel's sovereign and sovereignty and commitment to law and order. The court's decisions regarding Amona and Ofra in Beit El and in Nitiva Avot were implemented to the letter, and the state of Israel acted in a manner befitting a sovereign, democratic, law abiding state. But in the case of the Palestinian Authority's flagship outpost, Illegal outpost, we should say, which was created as part of publicly declared strategic program to take control of areas under full Israeli jurisdiction. Netanyahu has cold feet. If the prime minister does not come to his senses quickly, the blame for the stinging defeat in the battle for Area C and the capitulation to the Palestinian authorities' hostile takeover will be Netanyahu's lasting legacy of shame. The prime minister cannot shift the blame in the direction of the Supreme Court. He has no one to blame but himself and that's a little bit of what we explained earlier that this is an area that the Palestinian authority has decided to use illegally to settle i mean you it's huge huge they've settled thousands and thousands of people there and I- illegally and they've done so in a very strategic place a place that that is area C which belongs to Israel in the agreement and and they're basically doing away with, with the way the agreement is supposed to um, be handled. So, um, we'll follow it. But we, we, on this show, really spoke about um, Amona and Natifa Avot, and we, decried, we cried about the Israeli government destroying those areas because the court said so, even though the court had some ways out, like eminent domain. Here... When the Arabs are doing the same thing, the government, not the court, the government is chickening out. Oh, we support Regavim, and we hope you do as well. Um, we're going to close out the show with uh, Udi Davidi and Min'i Kolech, which harks back to the stories of Rachel and the prophecy of Yirmi Min Min'i Mibechi, V'shavu Vanim L'gvulam. Uh Before we do that, we're going to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thanks for all the Facebook Likes. And comments, thanks to the staff of Nachum Siegel Network, and my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel. Coming up on the Nachum Siegel Network, Yoni Pollack with the After Further Review, covering the latest in the world of sports. And then, Jake Novick with Novick Now, why you shouldn't buy a Mega Millions lottery ticket until you hear this show. Uh, I love that. And then the great Monday music marathon until next Monday. Immediately following Jay and Am, this is Mayor Wangon reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. Oh no, they're just running in a different race.
1: salvar